one of the uh, wonderful aspects of our modern educated world is that we really have grown exponentially in our knowledge that we can name things about our lives. We can name what we experience, what we feel, the illnesses we contract. We have names for our emotional and our physical pain. Uh, we can describe our state of mind and heart and put labels in it in such a way that all of that becomes part of our story. And when we identify ourselves in this way and we tell these stories to ourselves and to others, it has a certain power to it. It has a power of giving us some hope and even at times a community. For example, uh, when a young person hears that the problem is anorexia or paranoia or depression, it can have the effect of bringing some relief, you know, just a sigh of, now I know. And it can bring some hope because they know now that they're not alone. There are other people who are like them. They're not isolated. It can be overwhelming that their life story is now marked by something so powerful and profound, but at least they know, which makes a huge difference in the way we navigate life, right? This can be true for other aspects of life, too. The, the time and the world that I grew up in, we didn't have a common language for the type of person who has limited bandwidth for crowds. You know that type of person? Someone who can handle, they can handle intense people interaction for a while, but then they start to get tired and they start to get a little bit low and sometimes they even get a bit grumpy and angry when it's too much and they need to escape. Of course, now we know that those people aren't bad people. We just call them what? Introverts. They're introverts. All right. Show of hands. We're the introverts in the building. Let's see. See, see how many hands went up quickly? We know that now, don't we? This was not a common language when I was becoming an adult. We didn't know that issue. When Maria and I were in the early years of our church ministry, I was on staff at a church, and our Sunday practice was Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, afternoon choir practice, because we were that spiritual, and then Sunday evening service, which, by the way, was different than the Sunday morning service. Today, if you go to a website and look at a church and they have a Sunday evening service, just know it's the same thing that they had in the morning. It's not something different. Back in my day, oh, he's already gone back in his, yeah, back in my day, we had something different on Sunday evening. Can you imagine that today? Sunday school, Sunday morning, afternoon choir practice, Sunday evening, I was at all of that. We were at all. And at the end of that day, I would come home, and all I would want to do is just eat the biggest pile of carbohydrates I could get my hands on and sit in front of the television and watch whatever sport was on. Didn't matter if I cared anything about the teams or even the sport. I didn't want to talk. I just wanted to sit there. Maria had other desires after 
church. She wanted to reflect. She wanted to talk about it, ask how class went, what I thought about the music. Did you speak to anyone interesting? Let me tell you about my conversations. And while she was doing this, I would find myself staring at the television and just occasionally grunting in response to our questions. I didn't know why I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk. We thought I had some sort of spiritual problem. Maybe I did, but that's an aside. But come to find out, I'm just an introvert. And I was just exhausted at the end of those days. And when I learned about introversion and realized what was happening to me, it was a huge relief. But here's the catch. I can't get stuck there. I can't allow introversion to shape my full identity. Nor can I use it to avoid loving my neighbor. See? The way of Jesus is that we don't get stuck in any of those things that have become part of our story, whatever they might be, whether it's the natural way that God has wired you, or whether it's a problem that has come on you from outside of yourself, uh, a sickness, past sins. We, what Christ wants is that in amongst of all that reality, we find Him, and in Him we find our true identity, which is where true freedom is. See, what we think normally is the more self-aware I am, and the more self-actualized I am, and the more authentic I am to myself, then that's when I have the most freedom. A full life is just living according to that life narrative, whatever it is. That's what we're taught, that's what we hear in our world. And we come by all of this pretty honestly. It's, it's the air that we breathe, it's what we imbibe around us, I need to go find myself, be true to yourself, don't let anyone put you in a box. High school graduations will come again this next year, and those are the sorts of things you will hear to inspire you to do well in life. And all of these everyday cliches are deeply embedded in our psyche. They permeate every aspect of our lives, even in the church, because we've come to believe that real life is discovering and living in my authentic self. And then when I do that, then I've made it. That's real living. But in Jesus, we hear something profoundly different. Now, hear this carefully. Jesus, too, wants us to live authentically. Okay? Where our being and our behavior are aligned. That we are true inside and out. And he wants us to have a full, abundant life. But the way to get there is very different than all of those cliches that you'll hear at high school graduations. So what does Jesus do? To get us to that life where our stories, they don't restrict us. We don't get stuck in them. But in them we find freedom. You know, he tells us stories like the ten lepers. And the ten lepers are a message to us that we are not stuck in our stories. You are not victim to the narrative 
that has either been thrust upon you by circumstances beyond your control or by your failure to live up to your moral obligations in the past. You are not stuck in those stories. Your quirky personality traits, your disability, your mental illness, your sin against your children or your parents or your spouse, your addiction to alcohol, all of it is part of your story, but none of it defines you. None of it defines you. And the story of the ten lepers is good news because it demonstrates the power of God to free us from that life-defining issue or event and to write a new story for us. One of healing and joy and profound gratitude, grace and hope. The leper in Bible times, we're told, was most likely not one suffering from what we know today as Hansen's disease or leprosy. But rather, leprosy in the Bible can include a whole host of skin diseases. Whatever these men had, they were required to be cut off from the community so they wouldn't infect others. And the treatment was simply to hope that the issue went away. Now, we know a bit about quarantining these days, don't we? Not at this level, though. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being completely cut off from your friends and family, unable to have dinner with others, to hug your children, to be forced to live with other people who are as miserable as you are? I mean, we know how the pandemic restrictions have impacted us and our society. And we're not even a world as grounded as deeply in community as the ancient world was. We seem to live pretty well on our own with all of our entertainment and means of communication. But in ancient Jewish society, being in and with community was their very identity. And to be cast out from that had to have been soul-destroyed for these men. Don't miss it. These men were desperately wanting to regain their identity and re-enter their community so that they could once again live full lives. And you can almost hear them cry out for mercy as Jesus passes, right? Desperation. Last hope. I mean, there's no vaccine coming. This kind of desperation isn't so different in our own world, because we are identity-seeking people, desperate to know who we are and where we belong. If you're over in East Portland, you might express the need for a powerful identity and a full life differently than you do in the suburbs. But everyone, everyone is crying out for authentic lives, freedom from whatever it is that's weighing them down. In the suburbs, everything and everyone is polished and shiny on the outside. Scratch under the surface just a bit. And you'll find random drug abuse, mental illness, and as many teen suicides as you'll find anywhere else. And so all of us, we all push and struggle and gravitate to those powerful identity markers 
because we're desperate to belong and to be loved and live full lives. All of us, in one way or another, are lepers needing mercy. So to be restored into the community, following the strict laws in Leviticus, these men would need reason to believe that they were healed, and then they would have to be examined by the priests to verify the healing. What's fascinating about this is that they would have already seen the priests at some point and been judged to have been unclean. So to go to the priests again didn't make any sense unless something had changed. But Jesus just says, go show yourselves to the priests. He doesn't declare them clean as he does for other people in the gospel narratives. He doesn't say, trust me guys, just go. Nor does he go and touch them as he has on other occasions. He just says, go see the priests. What would you do? Yeah, we've been. Why do you think we're here? It's remarkable to me that they all go. No one stays behind. There is, at some level, faith being expressed here. Obedience to this rabbi with a reputation for miracles. They were desperate for healing and restoration, so they obeyed. And Dr. Luke says very specifically in the text, did you pick it up? On the way, they were healed. Not before they went, not when they got there, on the way. Faith, at some level, obedience, for sure. And then on the way, they were healed while they were obeyed. Incidentally, this is the way it is with Jesus. It's as we obey God and follow after Him that over time, we begin to experience the healing and the depth of love that God gives us in Jesus. This is why I struggle with trying to convince people who are non-believers, who are non-Christians, to become Christians. They just have to come. And they have to start following. And they have to start listening. And they have to try it out. And as they do that, as they're on the way, that's typically when the encounter begins. That's why children, young people, that's why your parents are bringing you here every Sunday and you're talking about Jesus at home and you're practicing and you're doing things that sometimes you don't understand because it's as you're on that way that Jesus encounters you and he gives you that life hope and that healing. And my encouragement to us is don't short-circuit this process. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just because the way has been or will be difficult, confusing, full of disappointments, that is no reason to conclude that Jesus isn't worth it. Your story is not written yet. 
And the commands of Jesus may seem strange or hard to believe, or they may run cross-grain to what you are hearing in your school and amongst your friends and on television and podcasts, and they may sound ridiculous compared to all of that. Go see the priests anyway. Even though it doesn't make sense, because this ancient male Jew has proven again and again that he keeps his word and that he will complete his work in you. Don't quit. If you are a teenager, my heart is particularly burdened for you. You live in a tough world. Where there are identity markers on offer for you to pick and choose whichever one you feel that you need to be to grasp your authentic self. And over here in the background, a very distant voice that you can barely hear is the Son of God who says, Hey, you want healing? Follow me. Do what I say. And it sounds absurd to you. And you think, no way. These guys went, and on the way, as they obeyed, as they followed Jesus, God brought healing. And that is the way it is in the Christian life. So keep going. Don't give up. We all know people who have given up. Jesus sounds strange to us. He doesn't fit the mold of a modern, scientific, educated mind. And even more than that, he rarely gives us what we think we need. Instead, he offers us a cross. He offers us a life of quiet prayer, meager means. He offers us the opportunity to sacrifice what we have and to give away. He offers us the privilege of praying for crooked politicians and to forgive the knucklehead who's clueless about the fact that they're hurting us. I mean, with all that on offer, you can see why some people quit, right? <laughs> Doesn't sound very much like the authentic, successful, self-expressive life that we are trained to desire. I used to wonder why it was that the church had trouble keeping the young people, but compared to the be true to yourself doctrine, I mean, Jesus doesn't carry much appeal sometimes, right? But before you quit, remember, it's along the way, on the journey with Jesus, as we obey that's when God does his work of healing and he will give you the identity that your restless heart desires. Only he will. Now, briefly, about that identity business. All ten are healed. Only one returns to worship Jesus and show gratitude. The nine got what they wanted from Jesus and then they went on their way. Have you ever wondered what happened to the nine? I think that's what happens normally in the church. I think this is the normal way for a lot of people in the church. Especially in America where we don't face 
religious persecution, generally speaking. The churches in our country are obsessed with giving people what they think they want, meaning felt, need, felt needs, a better marriage, becoming a real man, whatever that means, raising successful children, all of that. And they draw the crowds in order to help people get something out of Jesus. But be very careful. What happens next after we get what we want out of Jesus? Presumably the nine lepers went and showed themselves to the priests. They re-entered their communities. They returned to the synagogue. They settled into normal life. The Jewish lepers, by implication in the text, the nine, who were outsiders for a while, cut off from their communities, uh, they just became insiders again. Now, I bet you can identify with this in your life. Think about it. I certainly can. When life is pressing in on us, what happens to our prayer life? When life gets really hard, we become really fervent prayers, don't we? Every morning, as we're out walking, when we're driving the car, when life is tough and something's hanging over our heads, boy, we pray a lot. We get really serious. And then, God hears our prayer, takes care of us. What happens to our prayer life after that? Oh, now, we may not stop coming to church. We may not abandon our ethics or anything like that. Maybe we pray just a bit less, if at all. Maybe we complain some more. Maybe we start to binge a little bit more TV. Maybe Jesus fades ever so slightly into the background. Someone close to me, uh, not in Portland, tips their hand as to how things are going in their life and their business. I always know. You know how I can tell? Real easy. When they come to church, things are tough in life. And when they're not at church, life's pretty good. That's the way of the nine. That's an easy trap to fall into. Oh, now there's a measure of faith with the nine. They believe enough to show up to church. They believe that Jesus is powerful enough to give them what they want. They do. The ten believed enough to go to the priest. They believed in Jesus enough to know that he could heal them. But Jesus says that that kind of belief isn't quite enough. It only gets you so far. The one leper returned. What does the text say? Threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him. Luke then drops his bombshell. Here's a Samaritan, an outcast foreigner who didn't and couldn't belong to the temple or synagogue, whose identity was not simply leper in a spiritual, or sorry, literal sense, but leper in a spiritual sense too. As far as the Jews were concerned, this guy had no access to God. And what he needed more than simply physical healing was salvation. He needed a new name. He needed a new identity. He needed a new future. And so he bows and he worships Jesus with full gratitude. And Jesus says, rise and go your way. 
Your faith, get it, has saved you. It's a different word here than the healing that all ten had previously received. This salvation is wholeness of body and soul. This is the salvation that Luke repeatedly highlights in his gospel. That the outsiders become insiders only when they express faith in and obedience to Jesus. Salvation doesn't belong to the crowds who are looking for food, like you'll find in Luke, or to the zealots who want Jesus to overthrow Rome, or to the Pharisees who are looking for more money, or to the ones who want to use Jesus to get a comfortable life. Salvation isn't for the ones who come to church looking to express themselves in praise bands, or to teach in church, or to get their name and lights on the Christian conference circuit. You can do all of that and be one of the nine. Disconnected from God. Salvation is for the outsiders who have this persistent, nagging feeling that their only hope to get to God is by being as close as possible to Jesus. And that's the irony of life. The more you pursue an identity and a full life apart from Jesus, the more lost you become. But when you give up the chase for an identity, to find yourself, to, don't, to not let anyone put you in a box, all of that. When you give up that chase and you fall at His feet, when you take up your cross and follow Him, that's when you get a name. We get healing, wholeness, salvation. I wish I had the perfect, inspiring story to end this sermon. I needed one right here. I didn't like any of the options I came across. So what do we do? What do we do now? How will we respond? I guess the best we can do is what this guy did. Give praise to God bow at Jesus' feet and thank Him that only in Him do we find life and identity and hope and salvation. And this is what we do every Sunday, training ourselves to be good Samaritan leaders. May God give us grace to follow Him all of our days.